Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything going on in the world of sports. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me, as always, you know him. He is the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of sports, and we definitely want to interact with you, so make sure to swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Join in the conversation on our social media accounts. You can find them all right there. You can check out Parlay Points. New blogs dropping this week. The T Public Store, where you know it's always a good time to go get some ODPH swag. The music section, which we have some new Tom Jolu, <laughs> yeah. which we'll be closing the show with tonight, but you can find it all right there. It's right in the links. It's it's one-stop shop. We make it so easy for you. Friends of the show, the classifieds, if you talk ODPH at any point in your life, you can always find it at odphpodcast.com. And always remember to use the hashtag ODPHpod. But kicking off this edition of the podcast, we have to recap the cherry on the Pro Wrestling Sunday. Yeah. The week that was. And man, oh man, did the WWE decide to close out the show the only way they can do it, and that is the show being wrestling week leading into WrestleMania. The extravaganza of extravaganzas, if I can use that terminology. Yeah. The WWE Super Bowl of pro wrestling happened this weekend at Arlington Stadium, home home of the Cowboys, AT&T Stadium, I believe. Yes, it is. Yes, I always kind of forget because I was just I was I'm used to calling it Cowboy Stadium because let's face it, it's, it's like Sears Tower in Chicago. It's no longer officially Sears Tower in Chicago, but I'm willing to bet most Chicagoans who have been there long enough still call it the Sears Tower. Yes, and it's always an event when the WWE comes to town for WrestleMania. There has been a lot of independent shows going in on around that area through the entire weekend. If you want a full recap of that, 607TWS is available now on Twitch and in podcast form, so you definitely want to go check that episode out, especially featuring Super B, who's going to be wrestling at Excite Wrestling this week. But we came to talk some WWE, the recap, which put the stamp on the weekend, definitely got everybody excited to talk some wrestling. So let's get into it, Pad. Yeah, so we're going to start with night one. This took place on Saturday, uh, and there were no pre-show matches or on either night no there's just a two-hour pre-show which was weird yes uh but so the card opened up on saturday with the match tag team matchup for the wwe smackdown tag team championships with uh the usos defending their belts against shinsuke nakamura and rick boogs uh and you had the usos retain their belts uh winning by pinfall in six minutes and 55 seconds now this did seem a little short it did seem a little odd it appeared that rick boogs appeared to injure himself during the match of course with with anything in pro wrestling especially televised you don't know if it's real you don't know if it's storyline are they working something in maybe i, I know a couple of years ago they did that with john moxley mm. then dean ambrose said he was injured they worked in an injury angle so he could get off tv but it did come out later in the night that rick boogs did suffer an injury uh unfortunately so he's going to be out uh, lord knows how long uh, hopefully he'll be back with a speedy recovery uh but the usos continue their reign as the longest reigning smackdown tag team champions yeah, this one did what it was going to do. Um, obviously, the ending, I feel, did get switched because of Boog's unfortunate injury, 
which, like you say, I speeding healthy wishes to him right now because that looked absolutely painful. From what I've read, the Usos were always supposed to win this match. Just obviously with the injury, they kind of had to like, all right, let's fast forward to the end here. Well, I could believe that too, but I honestly thought that they were going to do a switch just because the titles have been with them for so long. But this match, unfortunately, got rushed to a, uh, to an ending, and, you know, it was what it was. It yeah. definitely got the crowd interested, got them a little excited for the night, and that's what you want to do as the opener, so... Yeah. That being said, next up. Uh, next up was a singles matchup where you had Drew McIntyre defeat Happy Corbin uh, with Mad Cat Moss in his uh, corner by pinfall, and that was in 8 minutes and 35 seconds. Uh, this match was 8 minutes and 29 seconds longer than I thought it was going to be, uh, but it was all right. It served its purpose, which they wanted to make Drew look like an unstoppable force. Him kicking out of End of Days, which is the first time that's ever been done on NXT slash WWE programming. Uh, yeah was a big deal. And obviously where we're going with McIntyre after this, all signs point that he's going to be the next contender for Roman Reigns. Right. So this match did what it needed to do. Albeit though, I don't care about the whole sword storyline that he comes down with and the fact that he decided to swing at somebody and cut the ropes. I mean, it was a badass moment. It looked really fucking cool. You know, it he it makes sense him being from Scotland. It may okay, carry a sword makes sense. Sure, but but like I don't need a whole story into it. Like, listen, I know he's Scottish. His nickname is the Scottish Psychopath. Obviously, with the accent, I can tell he's from Scotland. He's announced as coming from Scotland. Like, okay, he has. I don't need a whole song and dance story behind this. Why he has the sword and its name and all that. Like, fine if you give it to me, but it's not required no definitely not required but they really wanted to try making drew a big monster face to go against roman which it served its purpose i mean obviously drew had been a former world champion this is going to be a good storyline going into wherever they're heading into summer like i don't want to say i don't i hate using a stopgap right that's what it kind of feels like this program is going to be so yeah but it'll be interesting to watch it nevertheless they've had some great matches in the past so i'm excited this is the route they're going uh, next up was a tag team matchup between Ray and Dominic Mysterio taking on The Miz and Logan Paul. Uh, and you had Miz and Logan Paul emerge victorious, pinning uh, pinning the Mysterio team in 11 minutes and 15 seconds. And I got to say, Logan Paul, not bad. Definitely not bad. He looked the part. He was getting a lot of heel heat from the crowd. Holy shit, he was. The crowd of 78,000 was super excited to see this match and definitely was letting Logan Paul know that they don't like him. And he was living it up. Like, that's the one thing that we have to give him his credit for. He embraced the role of being the heel. Mm-hmm. He definitely looked the part. He did not look awkward being a celebrity no. in the ring. No, And obviously you could say, well, he boxes and does whatever. If you want to call that boxing, I don't. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's in there and he does yeah. some things, but I don't really call him like a boxer. Yeah. But nevertheless, he showed the part. He definitely took this seriously. And that's one thing that we've seen him before in WWE programming. He does take this seriously with the amount of respect to the art and the performance. Yeah. So, you know what? I can't be mad at him about that. I'm not a personal fan of his, but he did a good job here, and they're setting up for some more stuff to happen later. I'd like, Yeah, I'd like to see him and, and his brother, uh, Jake, was on the pre-show. And I and what Jake showed me on the pre-show is what late, is going to lead me to saying this. I'd like to see the two of them do maybe not like a super long run, but like a little bit of a run. Just because when they brought out Jake on the pre-show to talk about his brother Logan's matchup and this and that, without even fucking saying anything, you had the crowd booing him. Mm-hmm. And and these two were able to work a crowd like I can't remember the last time seeing. Short of Roman coming out after he beat Undertaker at 33 and the crowd booing him incessantly for 15 minutes. 
that's the last time I can remember somebody coming out and being able to work a crowd instantly. Well, the one thing you got to remember with the Paul brothers is they know how to sell a fight. They know how to sell an event. Uh-huh. They are naturals for the world of pro wrestling. Yeah. Like, let's face it. Love them or hate them, they know how to get you talking. And they serve the purpose for this match. Because, obviously, WrestleMania has had its history of having celebrity performers. Mm-hmm. This is nothing new. But the Paul brothers knew exactly what was going on. Jake in the commentary booth, he was definitely working his magic. And definitely, I would not doubt seeing him make an appearance in WWE programming at some point. Sure. I'm not going to give you a timetable because I don't know what the plans would be. Sure. Other than maybe a one-off next year because it's going to be in Hollywood. Yeah. I could see something happening there. I definitely think Logan Paul would be facing The Miz at SummerSlam. I mean, if, if there's an upcoming pay-per-view that's in Cleveland, bank it. Yeah, I don't know if uh, Backlash is. I don't believe so. And right. then I know Money in the Bank is going to be at uh, Legion Stadium. So. Yeah. Uh, it might be few and far between, but I would not doubt that Logan Paul does make an appearance if they're doing a show in Cleveland, even if it's a Raw. Oh, I, yeah. I wouldn't doubt it. Oh, yeah. But I'm going to say for box office, though, he'll be there and he'll do his thing. And obviously, it was what it was in the match. I mean, the Mysterios, I thought Dominic was going to do the big turn right. that they've been teasing forever. So right. it didn't happen here. It was what it was. But it's a fun moment for them. And this match was not the worst thing on paper. No. Let me just say that. No, uh, next up was a singles match for the WWE Raw Women's Championship. You had Becky Lynch defending her belt against Bianca Belair, uh, and you had Bianca Belair emerge victorious, winning by pinfall in 19 minutes and 10 seconds. This match got all the praise it deserves. Yeah, it did. Arguably the best match of the weekend. Bianca you, Bianca got a hell of a shiner out of this match, too. Oh, my God, Fuck. yeah. She definitely took a bad shot. But these two definitely tore the roof off the place. Uh-huh. And obviously, for those that were still griping about Belair's defeat in 18 seconds against Lynch, mm-hmm. they ran it back. They even teased it happening again, too. Well, and even Becky, at this towards the start of the match, tried using the same moveset mm-hmm. she did at SummerSlam to win. But it's like, oh, no, Bianca's got that scouted. Right. And it was brilliant, too. Like, the whole story told in this match was absolutely perfect. This is what you want to get people into your programming. You show them this match. This will definitely get more fans involved because this was great. Oh, yeah. Like, that's the one thing. Like, when you talk about getting new eyes on the product, Bianca Belair is a star. Oh, absolutely. And if you're not on board with her yet, I don't know what to tell you. She's a star, and she's reaching out to the young generation. I saw a video on Reddit on Monday Mm -hmm. on the Squared Circle subreddit, and there was a teacher. I don't know where. It was somewhere in the States, but he didn't say where he taught. Uh, but he runs a wrestling club at his lo- at his local elementary school, which is really fucking. Oh, that's amazing! Cool idea. So, but it was, and it's all it's elementary school kids, so it's all very young, you know, 10, 11 years old, whatever it is. Uh, and a lot of them didn't get to see most of WrestleMania, so he's they so he, he decided to show them this match specifically, and he took a video of it. I'll have to pull it up, find it, and pull it up for you. You know, but if you go out and find this video, it's it's amazing because these kids are watching this match and they're screaming and they're jumping up and down. And the videos of the moment where Bianca gets the pinfall win and the kids absolutely lose their goddamn minds. Yeah. Like if you need further evidence that Bianca is reaching that next generation and getting kids and people involved and interested in wrestling, I don't know what to tell you. Exactly. That's why I say you show this to anybody that's on the fence about pro wrestling. They will get instantly hooked. I I would almost guarantee that because these two are at the top of their game and they put on a hell of a main event. This should have been a main event on one night. Oh, yeah. I'm going to say that right now. I understand that the quote-unquote 
Other match that we'll talk about later was it. And I'm not talking about Kevin Owens uh, and Stone Cold because that was a brawl. That was not a match. Nevertheless, this was everything we were expecting and more. I'm super excited to see where we're going from here. Yeah. I am too. It's going to get real interesting just because I thought it was interesting that during the match they brought up, you know, Becky sold her soul for the title. Yeah. yeah. I was like, all right, that's creepy and kind of interesting phrasing. And then I loved the following day she went and cried. I don't know who gave her this idea or if she came up with it on her own, but I saw a photo of Becky going to do a press junket you know, before the next night's card, Mm -hmm. she walked out to said press junket because it was like a press junket. Like you'd you'd see, you know, an NFL athlete do they walk into the room and they're sitting at a table and there's all these press people sitting there. She walked out with a replica women's title belt. Oh, that's so good. Oh my God. And she was walking it out, carrying it like the way she does to the ring. And I'm like, Oh, this is great. Yeah. She's embracing that heel role and they're running with it. And sky's the limit for both. I mean, this is absolutely perfect match. Yeah. Next up, though. Next up was the matchup I think most people were looking forward to that night, unless you're an old school fan. Maybe Mm -hmm. you were looking forward to the one at the end of the night. Uh, But for most people, we're looking forward to this because this was Seth freaking Rollins getting his matchup. We didn't know who it was going to be, although we all had a pretty good idea who it was going to be. You know, he had been trying for weeks and weeks to get his match at WrestleMania. You know, fought Kevin Owens, you know, for his whole spiel. He had a mania and lost. Fought AJ Styles for the opportunity to face Edge at WrestleMania. He lost. Thought as a, was down and out, wasn't going to get back in until Vince brought him in the office. And Vince went, the hell's wrong with you? Why didn't you just come to me? Yeah. Would have gotten you a match. You didn't have to jump through all these hoops. Ah, I'm on WrestleMania. Great. Who's my opponent? You'll find out when you're in the ring and their music hits. So we get to Sunday. Seth comes out looking dapper as ever. Oh, yeah. Drip game on 100. Uh, comes Facts. out comes out there waiting, waiting. And if you go back and listen to last week's show, I'm pretty sure I called this for goddamn fucking yeah. bait him. Comes out there. Long pause. Didn't call the pyro, but there was pyro. Lights go out. And then you just hear, wrestling has more than one royal family. Cody Rhodes' kingdom music hits. The most fucking hilarious entrance I've ever seen in quite some time. I laughed out loud, but his his opponent, as the internet by and large speculated, Cody freaking Rhodes. Adrenaline in, in my soul. Something, something, Cody Rhodes. Yes, the internet exploded because the prodigal son had returned home, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Cody Rhodes, the son of the late, great American dream, Dusty Rhodes. Yep. Had returned to WWE programming for the first time in six years. Yep. Because when he left the last time, it was not on good terms. No. And he went on the indie scene, tore it up there, became the American Nightmare on the indie scene, then got with the Young Bucks, Mm -hmm. Kenny Omega, Hangman Adam Page, and formed All Elite Wrestling. Yep. And has been with that company for the past three years. Yep. Until recently, his contract was not renewed. They were trying to work out a deal. Did not go through for reasons. Mm -hmm. And Cody is now back in the WWE, which the crowd was excited to say the least. It was one of the loudest pops I've ever heard in my life. The only one I think that even it comes close to is when the Hardy Boys returned. Yeah. Hardy Boys was louder and would have been louder if they weren't in an open-air arena. But Cody's comes close to theirs. Cody's was definitely there. It came out in full Rhodeslander gimmick. Oh, my God. The logo, the music, the outfit, because he owns all of it. He owns the rights to all of it. Mm-hmm. Fucking brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. They could not have planned this any better. 
they legit could not have done this any more perfect. No, it, it was it was brilliant, you know. And you look back and some of the hints and you know the Seth Rollins dreams for WrestleMania were dashed. And then you know his uh, and then the, the other week it was all oh, his dreams for WrestleMania, making it to WrestleMania are now a nightmare. You know, so they were dropping hints. I I think it was Rich on a previous episode of Six or Seven TWS said it best. You know, they were taking a page out of the AEW book when it came to CM Punk. They're telling you without telling you. Yeah, and obviously this moment was huge on a lot of fronts. This is the first time on record that a major star from AEW has now come to the WWE. Mm-hmm. And this is a situation where the WWE really took the internet by storm. Yeah. There was a lot of social media buzz by this, and they ran with it because not only did they keep Cody in his character that people have known for the past three, four, five, six years. Yep. They definitely had the merch ready. Oh, God, yeah. He looked like a million bucks going Matt, into that ring. Match wasn't even over, and his merch was already being advertised on their website. Absolutely, and he had a f- an almost five star match with Seth Rollins, which arguably is the best wrestler in the world. Oh, easily, yeah. And they, and they also made a point because I know this was a lot of people's concerns, gripes, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. with the rumors that he was going back to WWE. It was a lot of people would say, "Well, they're just going to put him back in the Stardust gimmick," and and they made it very clear and abundant, you know. In the match, it, that ain't happening. Yeah, there was no chance of that happening. I think it would have been funny if they tried to. Like, if they had another wrestler dress up as Stardust just to work the crowd. Yeah. I think that would have been funny. Yeah. But we all knew that Cody was going to come back as Cody Rhodes. And he is now a full-fledged main eventer. Which, the last time we saw him, he wasn't. And let's be honest. Dashing Cody Rhodes, great character. Oh, yeah. Not a world champ. Yeah. And Stardust definitely wasn't going to be a world champ. Hell no. So now you have in your hands, WWE, the perfect candidate to take the belt off Roman Reigns. And and they're setting it up brilliantly uh, with the promo he cut on Monday Night Raw last night because he came out and opened Monday Night Raw, uh, unsurprisingly, you know, and cut out a promo where he's like, <laughs> and he, and he called, did a little callback to AEW, came out, stood in the ring, you know, the crowd chanted, and he looks at the crowd and goes, so what do you want to talk about? Yeah, and, and and then he cut this very wonderful speech about you know why he didn't go into any details of why he left AEW. He didn't even he didn't drop any innuendos or dots for the, us the listeners to or watchers to connect and try and piece together. He just said, "Hey, it was time," and he you know he gave his reason. He goes, "Some the only thing I'll say is some people thought it was a tough decision. It was the easiest decision I ever made." And he called back to a story from when he was eight years old and he was in his parents' bedroom and there was a photo and he showed the photo on the Titan Tron in the arena of his dad at Madison Square Garden in 1977 holding the then WWF World Championship. And he looks at his dad and he said, Dad, I didn't know you were a world champion. And he looked at him and goes, I wasn't. Champion's advantage. And he and he said, I made a promise to myself then I was going to win the WWF, WWE, mm-hmm. World Championship so that I could give it to my dad and I could have my dad hold it. And he goes, obviously, that dream has passed, but it still lives on that I want to win this championship. So they're, they're setting it up for it right then and there. Well, it makes sense on a lot of fronts. And, and to me, if they do it right, this could be a brilliant story when the payoff comes. Oh, I think they're going to. I think the fact that Cody is there and Vince knows what he's got with him now. So for anybody that was really kind of questioning about it, like I've been personally waiting to see what they do over the next couple months because I fully think they're going to be pushing them. 
And I know as the situation is like, is he going to get lost in the shuffle or not? Absolutely not. No, congratulations, WWE. He is now going to be the face of Monday Night Raw. Uh-huh. If anybody was questioning, that's going to be his show. And that show needs faces. Oh, yeah, but he's a bona fide superstar that is going to be the marquee guy there. Yeah. Like, Roman can have Friday nights. Cody is going to rock on Mondays. Oh, absolutely. And you know what? It'll be great for him doing what he does. The rest of the show needs a lot of work, in my opinion, but that's No, I agree. And, and I know some people are going to be waiting for that tell-all podcast or tell-all interview like some folks have done, you know, switching one company to the other. It ain't coming. No. You know, he did an interview with Variety, of all people. This was a fucking surprise. Uh, but I'm not going to read the whole thing, but this is the point I want to bring up. The interviewer said, uh, and of course, everyone wants to know the details around your departure from AEW. Cody said, quote, I chose to remain silent about my departure from AEW, and I'm going to keep my word on that. There's no shoot interview. There's no nefarious tale that's going to be told. There were all these different theories, and none of them are correct. I mean, there were things about money and creative control. They were printed as fact, and it's been a very difficult two months to see that, when the reality is it was just time. It was a personal matter, and we couldn't move past it. I have nothing but respect for Matt and Nick Jackson and Kenny Omega. I'm rooting for Tony Khan. His name is going to be in the history books as someone who helped to bankroll and support this entire alternative and revolution that AEW became. But for me, it was just time to move on. I get an opportunity at my dream. I get another chance at it. And you really can't leave any stone unturned with that. Close quote. I think he said a lot there without without saying too much. And I think that he's going to be classy enough. He's not going to bury the product. I mean, let's face it, there is a personal amount of pride of getting that ball rolling. Say what you will about AEW, whether you love it or you hate it. Sure. He did something which a lot of people didn't think they were going to be able to do, mm-hmm. and that's get a promotion on the on paper level oh, yeah. of, a, of WWE. Make more noise than any other federation has in maybe since WCW closed up. T- TNA made noise, but not to the level AEW has. Right. Well, I mean, that's the one thing, because when AEW started, they took the hottest free agents in the game sure. at that point. Sure. The Young Bucks were absolutely on fire. Kenny Omega was the best wrestler in the world. Sure. Cody Rhodes was killing it on the indies. Sure. And they were smart enough to pool their resources together and take that shot. Like I say, love it or hate it. That has to give the give them their flowers. Like oh, you, I do. You ha, you have to. I'm not an AEW viewer, but I do give them credit. Yeah, no, absolutely. So for Cody, he's not going to bury the product, and I know that he would not go out there and do this because like he's not leaving on bad terms with them. I mean, you can you can make the rumors about who he's mad at, and you know what? I think if you really look into the tea leaves on the interview he gave the Variety, I think you can understand what happened. Sure, I don't need to speculate on that. But I think he's very, very vocal about he's leaving. And, you know, if this was the easiest decision in the room to do, I fully buy it. Because if you take a look at what AEW's done over the past year, mm-hmm. they have had so much of an influx of talent. Oh, yeah. And still do. And still do. They're still adding wrestlers left and still right. Still rumors of people coming in. Mm-hmm. That where is your spot on the card? Right. And for being the company that was supposed to be the quote-unquote new alternative, it has morphed away from that vision. Now, whoever's vision that was, right. and I think it was Cody's that he wanted a new alternative, Right. it didn't go that route. Now, maybe it was Kenny Omega's, who knows? But at the end of the day, for where they started to where they are now, it's a totally different product. Oh, absolutely. It's not It's not bad. I watch AEW. Hell, you, can, you want proof? I'm on Twitter every Wednesday night and Friday nights watching and giving my reactions to it. I support the product. 
So that being said, it's gone through a metamorphosis, and I think for where Cody wanted to be with it, I just don't think it met up to what his needs were. And that's not uncommon. You know, you get into something, you get into a job, you get into, you know, a hobby that you think is going to be really great and really awesome. And it's going to go all sorts of places. And then it just doesn't. That mm-hmm. it, that it's not the green grassy field. And I'm not trying to say AEW wasn't a green grassy field for him. But just I think ultimately, you're right. It came to the point where he went into it thinking it was going to be one thing and go one certain way. And it went another way and it wasn't what he wanted. Yeah. You know, and he just looked at it and went, well, you know, I've got that other dream I, I want, you know, and, and I've been looking to do. Why don't we see what happens with that? So he and his camp reach out to WWE, and you had Bruce Prichard, Nick Khan, and Vince McMahon personally fly to him. Yeah. Not fly him in to Stanford for a meeting with them. They went to him, which says a lot about how much they value him and wanted him. Yeah, and it's definitely telling. And when you know what? It was worth the wait. It was worth the time. It was worth the effort because this match was arguably the best match of the weekend. Oh, easily. Like I said, you can make a debate between this and Bel Air and Lynch. Oh, yeah, you can... it, 1A, 1B. Exactly. This match lived up to the hype. It was a great win for Cody. It definitely got the ball rolling. His Monday night promo he did was very, very telling, as you touched upon, too. Yeah. So all signs point to him going to Money in the Bank and winning that thing, and I guarantee you if he's entered in it, it's a lock. We're talking locks and leaps. I'm already going to tell you right now, Cody's a lock to win that thing. I think just in between now and Money in the Bank, there's going to be a little bit of more, few more matches with him and Rollins just based off of last night. Oh, WrestleMania Backlash, I imagine, yeah, is, is going to be happening. Rollins came out, didn't say anything. He spoke to Cody, but it was without a mic. Yeah. You know, they sh- Cody went to shake his hand, offered his hand for a handshake. Seth shook it and then walked out. There was a lot. It was kind of like a tension in the room you could kind of cut with a knife. Yeah. So we'll have to wait to see how that plays out, but a fantastic match. Oh, absolutely. Uh, next up was a singles match for the WWE SmackDown Women's Championship, and this is between Charlotte Flair defending her belt against Ronda Rousey. And you had Charlotte Flair pin Ronda Rousey in 18 minutes and 30 seconds. So you remember how I said during the Becky Lynch-Bianca Belair match that they should have got flip-flopped for the main event? Yes. This is where they should have flip-flopped. Yes. I understand Ronda is a big name because of her UFC pedigree, but... Let's face it, and I know this will sound kind of like an awkward take, but it is what it is. When was Ronda last dominant in the UFC? I'd have to look up a record, but it was pre-Holly home fight. Yeah, it's been years. That's where I'm going with this. Her star has cooled off a bit. Uh, I looked it up. Uh, I would argue she hasn't been hot since uh, 2015. That's when she was on her run in the UFC. You know, knockout, knockout, submission, knockout. And then was the loss to Holly Holm in November. Yeah, so it's really cooled off since then. And so now Ronda is now transitioned to wrestling. Took some time off to start a family. Sure. But to come back and obviously win the Royal Rumble, that's a big deal. Oh, yeah. And it's guaranteed the title shot at Mania. Is one of those kind of odd situations that for being... Not the biggest name on the planet to get that preference. Yeah, to be for the main event. I, I like. I it just didn't match up with me. I thought the better storyline was with Becky Lynch and Bianca Belair. I, I agree, hundred percent. I understand that they were doing some good work with Charlotte and her. And I get this. And listen, there's no slight on them. But if you're asking me to make the comparison, one match really stood out. This match was kind of forgettable. I would argue this match was probably the weakest one of the entire weekend for me. You know, mm-hmm. uh, there's another one that, that on night two that some people might think, oh, that's weaker than this, which I don't even consider that a match for how short it was. Yeah. You know, but for me, it, it was astonished. I was astonished, you know, because I didn't like the match after the first night. And it's nothing against Charlotte. She's a good wrestler. It's nothing against Ronda. She's a great athlete. 
But just for some reason, this match just didn't do it for me. And by the end of it, I was like, okay, it's over. Thank God. Mm -hmm. You know, this was probably the worst match of the weekend for me. And this is with two wrestlers that I think the world of and I think are great. I'm not, listen, I'm not a huge Charlotte fan. I'm not a huge Rana fan. But when they're in the ring together, I'm like, all right, you know, I'm going to pay. I'm going to turn in, tune in. I'm going to pay attention. It just didn't do it for me. I don't know what it was just lacking something. There's really nothing from the match that stands out to me as like a moment going, oh, my God. Remember that, you know, like if we ever talk about this this card down the road or in the future, you know, there are moments from matches where we're going, oh, hey, remember this happening? Remember that happening? There's nothing from this match I'm going to remember. No, it's definitely forgettable. So with that being said, interesting way, interesting Charlotte retained too. Yeah. That's the one thing that was very surprising, like we touched upon. With Ronda being back, everybody thought she was going to get the belt. Yours truly included. Well, and I think this is much like you said with the Drew McIntyre, you know, uh, Happy Corbin thing. Like, it's good. it's a filler until they decide what to do with it. I think the same is going to be said with this. Obviously, we won't find out until Friday. But the fact that during the match you had the two instances where Ronda thought she won and then, you know, didn't. I think it's like telling, oh, hey, shenanigans, we're going to keep the feud going. Yeah, and it makes sense, too. And I know that she came out and, and refuted reports that she was complaining that she was not the absolute main event for WrestleMania. And I, I agree with her, actually, about this. I do, too. Like, I, I didn't put any, that much stock in that rumor that was going around that she was complaining too much. As much as she is a fan of the, of the sport and, and of pro wrestling, there's no way in hell she's got an issue going on before Stone Cold. Yeah, exactly, because that is what closed night one. Yeah, it was the KO show where he was going to be interviewing, quote-unquote, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Weren't quite sure what we were going to get out of this other than a couple stunners, uh, but Kevin Owens' music hits, and he was in ring gear. Yeah. And then he comes in the ring and starts talking, and then Stone Cold's music hits with mid-sentence. And then Stone Cold comes out. And I would say he's in ring gear, but I feel like ring gear for him is street gear for anybody else. Right. So it looked like street street gear, but then you notice he had his knee braces on, so it's like, son of a bitch, we're gonna get something something out of this. Uh, Stone Cold brought back his ATV and came down in his ATV. Still got it on the ATV, uh, but they were talking back and forth. It did eventually lead to Owens proposing a no holds barred match between he and Stone Cold, and Stone Cold asked the audience. Would anybody here in Dallas, Texas, like to see me beat this man's ass? Give me a hell yeah, hell yeah! And so it led to a match which uh, between Stone Cold Steve Austin, Kevin Owens, no holds barred. As I mentioned, Stone Cold emerged victorious, defeating Kevin Owens by pinfall in 13 minutes and 55 seconds. Oh, by the way, Stone Cold is like 55, 57 years old. Mm-hmm. And with the injuries he's had over the years, the fact that he was taking suplexes on the floor. Yep. And on the stage was yep. wild. Probably now safe to say the longest gap between wins in WrestleMania history. Yeah, that's a very fair statement. But this match was everything it was expected to be. Stone Cold <laughs> coming back, that was a nostalgic moment. Oh, absolutely. And you can't be mad that was the main event. Anybody that's complaining about that, like seriously, come on. I To be that bitter about it, you're never going to top being a bigger star than Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh, and to anyone saying, oh, Kevin Owens got buried. You clearly don't pay attention or know Kevin Owens very well, do you? No. Kevin Owens is a huge Stone Cold Steve Austin fan. And the opportunity for what I will presume to be Stone Cold's last match. Yes. You know, to be a participant in Stone Cold's last match, main eventing WrestleMania, in Dallas, any fucking Stone Cold fan or old school wrestling fan would jump at the opportunity for that. Let me even piggyback on that a little bit. If anybody is complaining about Kevin Owens being quote-unquote unhappy... Put this in perspective. The man 
who has been such a force on the indies, came into WWE, ascended to the top of the card rather quickly. Oh, yeah. And has been a mainstay yep. on either show you put him on. For seven years. Exactly. And has always been in the spotlight somewhere. Now, it's not always the main event, and it's not always for a title, but the man's always on TV. Exactly. And that is the biggest thing that you can give to a wrestler on WWE, AEW, anywhere that you are featuring them on a television slash streaming audience. The fact that they are consistently on (laughs) your television or device is a win. And the fact that he got to main event WrestleMania. Uh I repeat, he got to main event WrestleMania. Name me one wrestler on that roster that wouldn't trade spots with him in a heartbeat if it was offered. Oh, they all would. Exactly. He got a chance to live his dream because guess what? He got the main event WrestleMania. CM Punk never has. Yep. And obviously, if you know the history between those two, this moment was extra bittersweet mm-hmm. for Kevin. And for being the guy that didn't go to AEW, stayed with the company, Yeah, this is what he was rewarded with. He goes down in the history books as being a main eventer at WrestleMania. It also says a lot about how much Vince and the company put faith in you with Austin, who, let's face it, is one of, if not the biggest star pro wrestling has ever seen. Oh, my God, yeah. I don't care what company you're talking about. But he is the face of that company for the last, I don't know, however many years. He still is, even when he's not on TV. Let's face it. Anyone of a certain age hears the glass break and the music hit, you know who the fuck it is. Mm-hmm. You know, even the logo. So the fact that, you know, he wanted to come back for one more match and they trusted you of all people to be in that ring with him, regardless of, of his fandom and how big a fan he was of Stone Cold Steve Austin. The fact that they went to Kevin and said, hey, Stone Cold wants a match. We want to put you in with him. The fact that they trust him says a lot. It's a huge move by them, an absolutely huge move. But that was night one. Uh Uh-huh. Let's take a quick break, catch our breath, because we got to get into night two. So, ODPH Society, hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What was your thoughts about night one of WrestleMania? Did you love it? Did you hate it? And why? Let's talk about it. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, guys. My name is JT. What's up, everyone? I'm Darren. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm Josh. Hey, guys, I'm Christian. Hey, what's up, y'all? This is Dominic, and we're the East Coast Avengers. We're a group of five friends who get together weekly and talk about everything that's going on in the nerd universe. Whether you're a fan of Marvel, DC, Star Wars, video games, comics, or anything else nerdy that you can think of, we're the podcast for you. You can find us on Anchor, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or whatever streaming platform you use to listen to your favorite podcasts on. You can also catch us on our YouTube channel where we release tons of content such as vlogs, unboxings, TV and movie recaps, and trailer reactions. So if those things sound good to you, then check out the East Coast Avengers podcast. We hope you enjoy. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and it's time to continue our WrestleMania recap. We gave you night one, the first segment. Now it's time for night two. Yeah, so uh, night two started off, again, no pre-show match uh, on the, or match on the pre-show. Uh, so the card let off with a triple threat tag team match for the WWE Raw Tag Team Championships uh, with RK Bro defending their belts against the Street Profits and Alpha Academy. Uh, and you had RK Bro emerge victorious, winning in 11 minutes and 30 seconds. Now, we got to make note, though, 
they opened the show with Triple H coming out and addressing yes. the crowd, too, yes. and obviously yes. giving his farewell and getting his flowers. Obviously, he has to retire due to health issues. Yep. But the man is a legend in the sport, and definitely it was a moment that I'll never forget seeing oh, that crowd yeah. and definitely oh, yeah. the emotions coming out there. And they were definitely – the engines were revved high during this. So then, obviously, when the tag match came out, they kept up that intensity. Yeah, they, they did. kept that up. This was a great match, and like I have never been a big fan of RK Bro. Mm-hmm. Just I, I don't like the pairing, but they made it work. Yeah, they're doing a lot of crazy spots in this. Uh, some wild RKO finishes. Yeah, you know from the top ropes and yeah. jumping there. Yeah, so it definitely lived up to the hype. So I was definitely digging it a little bit. And the wrestlers came out and they brought in. This is what an opener should do. You got to get hyped for the crowd. You got to really do the thing. So you know what? Not mad about this at all. No, it was, it was a great match. Yeah, and then Gable Stevens uh, came yeah, in. Yeah, Gable Stevens uh, came in. You know, Stevenson. Yep. Yeah, came in. Uh, Stevenson. I'm sorry. Came in. There was a whole kerfuffle with uh, Chad Gable telling him to shush. Yes. You know, and he got suplexed. That, that was awesome to see. Yeah, it definitely was dope. Uh, next up was a singles matchup between Bobby Lashley and Almost, and you had Bobby Lashley uh, defeat Almost by pinfall in six minutes and thirty-five seconds. Yeah, this match uh, served the purpose I think it needed to. Almost coming in at Mania obviously has got a lot of hype behind him. Bobby Lashley worked his tail off to come back from yeah. an injury. Yeah, had a fun match, and you know Lashley going over definitely extends the feud. I know that the tease or uh, MVP has jump ship now. Yeah, to help almost. Yeah, so the feud is continuing. Yeah, no, that was interesting because MVP came out with Lashley on Monday night, cut a promo. Almost came out and wanted a rematch because he's like, oh, you know, you got the one up on me. You know, I wasn't hundred percent. Blah blah blah. You know, I want a rematch, and, and MVP goes, oh, almost wants a rematch against, you know, the almighty Bobby Lashley. You want, Do you all want to see a rematch with almost and Bobby Lashley? And Lashley's hamming it up to the crowd, like, oh, come on, cheer, cheer. Uh, and MVP took his cane and hit Lashley in the back of the legs, and mm. Lashley dropped to one leg. It's like, I was genuinely shocked because I saw this, I'm like, I didn't fucking see this coming. I didn't see it coming either. I mean, MVP and Lashley have been together for so long. Yeah. Seeing that turn. That's a big move for almost though. Oh yeah, he definitely is lacking in mic skills, so yeah. MVP will cover that for him. Yeah, so win-win overall. Uh, next up was an anything goes match between Johnny Knoxville and Sami Zayn, uh, where Johnny Knoxville emerged victorious, pinning Sami Zayn uh, in 14 minutes and 25 seconds. And I don't care what anyone says, this match was fucking great. This match was amazing. Oh my god! See, when they do comedy and wrestling, I know a lot of people are have very polarizing opinions. Yeah. But there is a place for it when it's done well. Yeah. It was done well here. This feud has been built up so well between both of these gentlemen. And to Knoxville posting Sami Zayn's phone number. His legit phone number. Yes. To the masses. Oh, and God. how Zayn had ran with it, too. This is everything that you wanted for a WrestleMania moment because there was so much of a great story built into this. Uh-huh. That with Johnny Knoxville from Jackass fame coming into the ring and doing jackass stunts. Oh, my God. Greatest hits of jackass fame. Yes. Like, it was absolutely a blast to see. And it took away from this, you know, quote-unquote seriousness of the moments. Sure. That mania, because usually, obviously, pro wrestling matches, they have a bit of seriousness to them. Sure. For the stories. But this was a good break, and they were doing a lot of fun things. And this is something that fans just need to remember. 
It is sports entertainment. Oh, yeah. And this was entertaining. Was I entertained? Yes, I was. It yeah. Was, and also, shout out to Mark Henry's son for making an appearance. Yes. <laughs> like, everything about this was just win-win. Even, like, a mousetrap-covered table. Yeah, mousetrap-covered table. Mousetrap used to pin Sami Zayn. The giant hand from Jackass fame making an appearance. Wee Man showing all the Jackass. Wee Man slamming oh my God. Sami Zayn was like somebody, Hogan and Andre. So, and somebody on Reddit took the audio from Hogan slamming Andre Put it to the footage of Wee Man slamming Sami Zayn, and it works perfectly. I need to see this. Oh, my God. I'll That's have, incredible. I'll have to pull it up. Uh, next up was a fatal four-way tag team match for the WWE Women's Tag Team Championships, uh, where you had Carmella and Queen Zelina defending their belts against Naomi and Sasha Banks, Liv Morgan and Rhea Ripley, and then Natalia and Shayna Baszler. Uh, and you had Naomi and Sh- Sasha Banks emerge victorious to become your and new WWE Women's Tag Team Championships. What's extremely noteworthy is Sasha Banks actually won a Mania. Yeah, she did. About damn time. Also, backstage, in the interview they posted on social media and on their YouTube channel, there was a Team Bad reunion. Ooh. Because, of course, when... when and, and Sasha brought this up. If you look up the video, Sasha brought up of everything Naomi's done for her since she came up in her 2015 with WWE. And I had genuinely forgotten Team Bad was in because it's fucking seven years ago. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's right. They were on Team Bad together. And then who comes running out of the back cheering and hugging them both of them? Tamina. Yeah, it was a, that's that's cool because you know what? For where Sasha Banks and Naomi really took this match and really, like I say, they stepped their games up for this. They had everybody engaged with this match. The only team I really thought that was going to give them a serious threat was Liv and Rhea Ripley. I thought the same thing. Yeah, which they're going to be actually have that match on Raw, I believe. The, between those two. Yeah, yeah, the rematch, yeah. Like, everything about this was a win. I really thought they did a good job. Like, you know, coming off the Jackass match, the crowd had to get a little break. Sure. So maybe didn't get the full, you know, crowd pop that they wanted, but it wasn't a bad match. I mean, they definitely were telling a story in there, and for new women's tag team champions, this is a huge thing for Sasha and Naomi. I was super excited about oh, this. Oh, absolutely. No, it was great. You know, it was great for Sasha to finally get a win on uh, WrestleMania. Yes, uh, next up was a singles matchup that I know a lot of people were looking forward to, myself included, uh, and that was between Edge and AJ Styles, two of the best in the world to ever do it. Uh, you And you had Edge defeat AJ Styles via pinfall in 24 minutes and five seconds. So Edge came out with a Ministry of Darkness type vibe. That was real wild. Yeah, it's like New Brood 2.0. Whatever it is, it was working because it looked weird as fuck. But I'm okay with it. I was done with it. I was like, okay, let's see what they do. AJ Styles, the consummate professional that he is, even though he did smack his head off the stage and took a very bad shot. He was bleeding on the way to the ring, but true professional. One of the best in the world, if not the best. And they went in there. They they had a great match. Like It wasn't exactly a five-star match, but it's not to say it wasn't a great match. And that's something I know a lot of people were complaining about on the internet. But let's face it. They told a good story. Obviously, they were teasing this Edge faction, so whatever it's going to be, New Brew 2.0, New yeah. Ministry, whatever the case yeah. Because Damian Priest came out because reasons. Reasons, yeah. And distracted AJ, so Edge got the spear yep. for the you know the win. I will say, whatever this new faction is, they're dapper as fuck because they both came out on Monday Night Raw last night wearing nice suits. Yes. And I don't care if people want to compare them to House of Black from, yeah, from AEW. Yeah. Like, I know that was going around. Like, listen, wrestling has a lot of similarities between both promotions. And you know what? Maybe just one day that forbidden door will get open because I would love to see the matchup between those two factions. I'm not mad about this at all. And to see where they're going to go with it. I mean, if they start doing the brood entrance to come to the ring, I'm here for yes, it. Yes, please. I'm here for this. 
Uh, next up was a tag team. I don't even want to call this a match. It was an atta- it was a tag team event uh, between Sheamus and Rich Holland with Butch in their corner taking on the New Day and Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods. Uh, and you had Sheamus and Rich Holland uh, emerge victorious by pinfall in one minute and forty seconds. That's why I don't even want to call it a match. Uh, we don't really need to talk about this one at all, to be honest with you. I mean, it I, happened. I, let me say this: there was a couple things I that do deserve to be noticed. The New Day came out with their ring gear, paying homage to Big E, who yep. unfortunately is out with injury, and they had a WrestleMania moment in that aspect. But this match really had nothing to write home about, and the fact that it's one and done, I'm, I'm hoping anyway, is okay in my book. Like that was the big thing: is the New Day got their moment to you know pay homage to Biggie because that that's what really stands out for me from this. Anything else is just kind of forgettable. Yeah, that's all I want to really say about it. Uh, next up was a matchup between Pat McAfee and Austin Theory, uh, who had Mr. McMahon in his corner, and you had Pat McAfee emerge victorious via pinfall in uh, 9 minutes and 40 seconds. And I got to say, this match, really good. Pat McAfee has been training for this longer than anybody realized. Sending up a ring in his house yeah. in, what, 2013, I thought? Something like that, yeah. Something absurd like that. But listen, McAfee is a fan. He got to live a dream. So for anybody that was like, uh, complaining about this, stop. Stop. You know what? If you had the chance to go in and wrestle, you'd do it too if you're a fan. But McAfee, in theory, had a good match. I mean, it was what it was. And with Pat McAfee winning, we all kind of thought of it, that was going to happen. And then we got the impromptu match with Vince McMahon. Yeah, so shenanigans happened. Vince was clearly pissed at Austin Theory for losing. I, and I even like what Rich was saying while we were watching, you know, that, oh, listen, I, I fed you a commentator who's had two matches under his belt and you couldn't beat him. So then uh, he started, Vince starts talking to Pat. Pat calls him out, like, hey, come on, step in the ring. And Vince, at 76 years old, uh, 76 years young, I should say. Uh, has an impromptu matchup against uh, Pat McAfee, uh, where he emerged victorious. It, it, official match, ref came out, rang the bell. You know, there were some shenanigans where a DQ probably should have gotten called, but it didn't because Vince is in the ring and he's the owner. Reasons. Uh, but uh, Vince emerged victorious, pinning McAfee in three minutes and 45 seconds, becoming the oldest male to ever win a match at WrestleMania. He's not the oldest person to win a match at uh WrestleMania, I believe that goes to Moolah at like 80-something years old. Uh, but that, but Mr. McMahon is the oldest male to win a match at WrestleMania at 76 years old. Yeah. Uh, and obviously things were dragging on a little bit, and we're all sitting there like, why is this dragging on? And then Rich pointed out, and we're like, oh, <laughs> makes a lot of fucking sense. We're waiting for Stone Cold to come out, because you can't have one more moment with Stone Cold in WWE, and especially at Dallas in Texas if Vince is involved and you don't have Stone Cold come out. It was a fantastic moment because once that glass shattered, even though McMahon telegraphed it, yeah, because somebody messed up playing the music, yeah, it still lived up to the hype because we had the long time reunion between Vince McMahon and Stone Cold Steve Austin, the legendary run that put Stone Cold on the map. Yeah, so they ran it back one last time. Vince McMahon, I, I understand Father Time caught up with him because that was the worst yeah. stunner in history. Yeah, he forgot how to take He's it. He's taking some flack backstage for it. Yo, McFoley's video. All I need to say, if you haven't seen that on social media, go make a point to go check that out. It's on the, epic. On the flip side, Pat McAfee, of course, got suckered into it like Charlie Brown getting suckered into punting the ball held by Lucy. Uh, you know, Pat McAfee, the stunner he took, brilliant. Yes. Oh, absolutely. This was just a fun moment in the in the, in the match, in the crowd. Yeah. Like I said, for everybody involved, like there's so many elements I get, I get a little confused with because we have to remember – 
not everything is going to be exactly meaningful <coughs> for long-term storylines. No. This was just a nice homage to the fans. Yeah, and I mean, it's like Pat McAfee's wife said on Twitter, on not Twitter, uh, Instagram, you know, that, hey, this was a childhood dream of his. That like, hey, anyone who's watched pro wrestling, I don't care what you're a fan of now, at some point you have wanted to be on that main WrestleMania Absolutely. stage and have a match. He got to do it, man. And uh, coming out to Seven Nation Army, great pick. Yeah, couldn't go wrong with that. Definitely was living up and definitely was enjoying the moment he was in. So, you know, like any, anybody that was complaining about the match, you have nothing to complain about. No. This, this is just a nice, fun homage to the fans because when Austin came out, gave the stunner, gave a one last goodbye to everybody, much like The Undertaker did during the Hall of Fame moment oh, he yeah. had. Went through like 57 beers in two days. Yeah. This was just something just to tip it back to the fans and say thank you. And and I like what I know. Co- I think it was Coach shared the tweet in in our Facebook uh, chat. Mm-hmm. But this re- and I have to agree with what it said that like this really did feel like a goodbye to the old era. Yes, you had Austin there. Mister McMahon was there. Triple H, you know, Undertaker. It it really felt like a goodbye to those days. Yes, and you know what? That's a proper send off too yeah. because you want to do something like that for those guys that had so much of an impact on the business. I mean, their marks, I mean, Vince is Vince, so, I mean, that's a whole different ball of whack. Oh, yeah. But you want to talk Undertaker, you want to talk Stone Cold. It's a lot of long shadows. That is a lot of a legacy that nobody's going to come near. Nobody is. And this was just a nice, fun goodbye to everybody. So, you know what? Bravo. Do it again. Watch a replay. It doesn't need to be done any, any more times. No. Uh, and then finally, your main event of the evening was Roman Reigns, the Universal Champion, taking on Brock Lesnar, the WWE Champion, uh, for in a winner-take-all championship unification match. Uh, and you had Roman Reigns emerge victorious, pinning Brock Lesnar in 12 minutes and 15 seconds to become your, uh, what the hell are they calling this thing, the undisputed WWE Universal Champion, I think is what they're calling it. I just call him champ, and this is Roman Reigns' world. Yes. I mean, like, what else can you really say about it? I understand he might have been hurt during this. We... I think he t- he definitely tweaked something because you go back and watch the footage. He can't lift his arm all that much, and then he was on Raw last night. You know, he didn't do he didn't do much. He just caught a promo. You know, at the end of the night, but you know, and then said, "Oh, as for what's next, you got to tune in Friday." So they tease. Yeah, but even even last night he was kind of handling that arm a little gingerly. Yeah, so, so what, I, I think he's a little bruised, but he'll be fine. Well, obviously, I mean, this was a hard hitting match, and injuries happened during this. If this is why it wrapped up short, okay, because otherwise I was a little puzzled by the timing of it. It but felt short. It, it, I mean, it definitely did. So that's why I'm assuming something must have went wrong, and they had to wrap it up because for them to not click is very unca- unlikely. Like they uh-huh. have, they fought each other enough times. There is that chemistry, even if it's muscle memory, that they would just pick up on that. But Roman wins. Brock is probably going to do some Brock things and take some time off, we would assume. He's got hunting to do. Right. So this definitely sets up for the next phase of WWE programming. And like I say, this was just so much of an homage to the fans, and this had something for everybody. That's why I say I kind of stumbled my words a little bit because this started taking me back the more I'm thinking about it and remembering all the times with Austin and McMahon. And seeing the Undertaker and Triple H come out for one last time, like this is definitely a passing of the guard. Oh yeah. So this is something that if you're not used to seeing these guys and knowing what they did, you're kind of sitting there like just kind of caught up in the moment. And I finally, and I fully recommend going back on the Peacock Network and go watch some of the absolutely. Stuff. But for the new generation led by Roman Reigns right now, you gotta be ecstatic as a fan. So that being said, final thoughts on WrestleMania, Pat? I got to say, for not having the greatest buildup, because I'd say the buildup has been one of the weaker they've had in recent memory, it was a great fucking two nights of wrestling that, like, 
I can't other than you know the Charlotte Flair Ronda match and then you know the the New Day match. I really enjoyed the hell out of the rest of the matches. That there wasn't any point where I became bored or di- disinterested with the matches. That from start to finish, other than those two exceptions, I loved all the matches. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I mean, this is just something that. I sat back and was really just enjoying what I was seeing because it had something for everybody. The comedy was on point with Knoxville and Zane. The seriousness of the moment, so to speak, was there in certain matches, especially Becky Lynch and Bianca Belair. I mean, that was one of the best storylines we've seen, and they definitely did the right decision. Bianca is champion again. They made up for SummerSlam for so anybody complaining about it, stop. Cody Rhodes making the grand return to WWE is one of the highlights of the weekend. Absolutely. Like, like I said, there's very few things you can be mad about. I do agree with you about the New Day and what Team Sheamus, we'll just call him, because I was really stretching to try finding something good to say about it. Other than the homage to Biggie, there really wasn't right. anything to talk about. Right. And Charlotte and Ronda was kind of a letdown too. But you know what? You're not going to have every match be perfect, but that's why we're fans, because we find good things in what we like. And this, there's a lot to like about WrestleMania. If you haven't seen it, the replay is on Peacock. I definitely recommend go checking out a couple of the matches we talked about. And that being said, ODPH Society, hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about WrestleMania Night 2 in general? Where do you think everybody's going after this? Let's talk some wrestling, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Greetings, henchmen and loyal subjects. I am Evan the Great. And I'm JVD. We're your hosts of the Fictional Battle Podcast, Crossover Collision, brought to you by the Villains Demand. If you love hearing in-depth breakdowns of your favorite characters and what they are capable of doing while fighting in random battlegrounds against other fan favorites, then this is the podcast for you. New episodes drop every Friday wherever you listen to your favorite podcast or over on TheVillainsDemand.com. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And let's talk some UFC. Yeah. It has been a hot minute since we have talked about a card this stacked. Uh Uh-huh. So UFC 273 is going down this Saturday, April 9th on pay-per-view. And man, oh man, oh man, did they ever stack this card. Yeah, they did. So, Pat, let us talk about that main card because... We really need a deep dive about this one. Yeah, so this, of course, is taking place at the Vistar Veterans Memorial Arena from Jacksonville, Florida. And the first matchup we're going to talk about is in the Bantamweight division, where you've got champion Algermain Sterling taking on interim champ Peter Yan. So this has been one of the more, dare I say, dramatic storylines going on in the UFC. And I hate saying yeah. storylines, but let's be honest about this. It's what they are. What has happened in this feud between Yan and Sterling has been nothing short of just your best soap opera I was thinking dramatics the same thing. yeah. possible. Yeah. Because the last time that they fought, Aljamain Sterling had been on a very long win streak. He finally got that title shot against uh-huh. Peter Yan. And then during that fight, Sterling had won the first couple rounds, like when we talk about it on the score paper. Yep. And then when we start getting into the later rounds, like I say, Peter Yan turned it on. And oh, yeah. Sterling was losing. In my opinion, like we were on pace for him getting finished very, very quickly in, that, in the later rounds. But Jan made a very bad mistake because emotions got the best of him. Uh-huh. Sterling was a down opponent. Yep. Jan hit him with one of the hardest knees to the Whoa. face that I've ever seen. Him. Jesus, felt that. I felt that one. Oh, my God. It was crazy. So he was uh, disqualified. Four minutes and 29 seconds of the fourth round. Yes. So Aljamain Sterling became champion. Yep. Which is absolutely insane. Oh, yeah. And then 
They immediately wanted to run it back, and Sterling didn't for many, many reasons. It just seemed like this fight was never going to get rematched. Yeah, we, we don't even know what it is. Uh, according to his Wikipedia page for Bantamweight Championship, it says Sterling was expected to face Peter Yan for the UFC Bantamweight Championship on December 12, 2020 at UFC 256. However, on November 22nd, it was announced that the bout was scrapped from the UFC 256 card due to undisclosed reasons. So we well, don't we don't know what the hell happened. Well, the biggest thing that was rumored is that Sterling was rumored to have had neck issues uh, because of the shot. Like there was something wrong; he couldn't mm-hmm. fight as hard as he fucking took that shot. It wouldn't surprise me, right? But then again, we also saw pictures of him out celebrating after uh, this fight. So, so you, I'm not saying somebody was faking, but I'm just saying if you put the aesthetics together with what was rumored, something doesn't add up. But they finally locked and loaded this fight to finally happen. So, Pad, that being said, who you got in this one? Uh, it should be very interesting. Uh, looking at uh, Aljamain Sterling's record, in 23 professional matches, he has a record of 20 wins, 3 losses. Uh, he is on a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 fight win streak. Uh, his last loss coming to a knockout from Marlon Moraes he got at Dece- on December of 2017. Uh, on the flip side, for Peter Yan, he has 18 professional matches, a record of 16 wins, 2 losses. Uh, he's on a one-fight win streak. He uh, beat Corey Sandhagen by unanimous decision back in October of 2021. Uh, and his last loss was to, as we mentioned, Aljamain Sterling. That was back in March of 2021. Uh, before that, he was on a super long win streak. His pr- only prior loss coming in March of 2016. Uh, so this one, I'm going to say, flipping a coin here, uh, Sterling. That's a gutsy pick because I'm saying right now, Peter Jan is going to finish this and finish this early. I think the anger that he has right now is going to boil over, and I think he's going to fight a very dangerous fight. Oh, yeah. I don't think it's going to be one he's going to let his emotions get the best of him. Because if he does, like, he's screwed. Like, this is a fight that is made for him. He's got to be on top of his game. Sterling might try getting in his head. And, like, Sterling will give him a challenge. This isn't going to be a run-through, so to speak. But I am saying if you have been sitting there waiting for a rematch and the guy that you've been trying to fight has, in theory, been ducking you, for whatever reason, right? And you took a fight in the meantime against a very dangerous opponent with Corey, and he definitely outclassed him. Like that was the one crazy thing about that fight. Jan is going to come in there and want to finish this early and make a statement. Like I say, Sterling will try fighting back with him, but I'm telling you what, there's something about that motivation. Oh yeah, that the guy you want to go have some you know hands with, so to speak, and he's not willing to meet up with you in the cage. The fact that you finally got there, you got to make the most of those minutes. And I think Jan's going to do this. I think he wants to make this nowhere near a judge decision by any means necessary. Oh, yeah. And I think he's going to finish him second round. I think it's going to get – I'm going to give you that prediction. I think he finishes via TKO. All right. Like, he's going to catch him with something, and we wait and see what happens in those fireworks right after that because Bantamweight is stepping the game up right oh, now. Oh, yeah. Uh, next up is a welterweight division matchup where Gilbert Burns is taking on Kazmat Chimaev. Yes. The wild man of the UFC is back in the cage against a very, very dangerous <coughs> opponent. Yeah. Chimaev is the guy that is filling in the role of Donald Cerrone. He is a guy that literally will fight anybody, anywhere, anytime. At any weight. At any weight. Like, he's now started doing the whole Cerrone thing where he's coming in at walking weight just yeah. in case he needs a fill-in. Yeah. And the fact that he's now hanging out with Darren Till is one of the wildest scenarios I can visually 
C. Uh huh. Because those two guys together is got to be one of the most insane camps possible. And the fact that Chimeyev is really on the cusp of breaking into a title shot from this. Now, I know you're probably listening at home going, well, he's ranked number 11. Yeah. That don't mean anything right uh-uh. now. Because if he takes out Gilbert Burns, who's right now ranked number two, yep, he's going to get a title shot against Usman. Oh, yeah. Uh, and you look at Gilbert Burns' record in 24 professional matches. He has a record of 20 wins, four losses. He's on a one-fight win streak. Uh, he beat Stephen Thompson uh, by unanimous decision back in July of last year. Last loss was to Kamaru Usman. Uh, that was a TKO at UFC 258. That was back in February of last year. Kazmat Chimeyev, on the other hand, and, and when I go through this, I'm going to break it down a little bit more because this is going to tell, explain, I think, in kind of black and white why we think he's going to get a title shot should he win this fight. In 10 professional UFC matches, he has a record of 10 wins, zero losses. Okay. Uh, his last fight uh, was to Li Jinglang. He won by uh, technical submission. It was a rear naked choke. That was back in October. Okay. Of his 10 wins, six are by knockout, four by submission, Zero or by decision. Yeah, he finishes quick. Uh-huh. And the, especially his last fight, he was coming back from COVID. Uh-huh. So he had been missing some time. But in the previous fights, though, he was finishing people within the first round, if not second. His longest his longest match of his professional career was an, uh, a brave CF fight. Uh, and this was in October of 2019 uh, against a gentleman where it, it finished in the second round at a minute and 15 seconds in, and he won by a darse choke. Yeah. That's that's the longest fight on his career. The other matches, uh, three minutes and 16 seconds of the first round was his last fight. Uh, 17 seconds of the first round, that was his prior fight. Three minutes and nine seconds of the first round. Minute and 12 seconds of the second round. Minute and 15 seconds of the second round. Uh, two minutes and 26 seconds of the first round. 35 seconds of the first round. Three minutes and 12 seconds of the first round. Four minutes and 23 seconds of the first round. And five seconds of the second round. So factor all that in. Like, I thought one of those fights in the UFC actually went to the second. But you know what? He does so much quick work, I, I get confused with the highlights. His, his fight against John Phillips did. Okay, uh, thank you. That was, that, was, that was the minute and 12 seconds in the second round. That was on a UFC on ESPN card. Okay, good. I'm not going crazy. No, no, Because no, I was no. thinking it was all first round. Like, Ironically, that one also won by a Darce choke. Yeah, like he is somebody the UFC should just strap the jetpack on and shoot him to the moon. He is somebody that can go in there and match up with anybody. Oh, yeah. And he has that X factor to him that he is somebody – Fans are going to tune in to watch, and especially for an organization like the UFC that is sorely lacking star power. I mean, they have Kamaru Usman, who is definitely approaching that level. Oh, yeah. And obviously, pound for pound, one of the best fighters in the world. But if you're talking about, like, for the buy rates, and, you know, you talk about the Diaz brothers, you talk about Conor McGregor, you talk about Ronda Rousey in her prime, you talk about Brock Lesnar in his prime. The UFC has really been lacking that kind of fighter that is going to, you know, cross over into pop culture mainstream. Oh, yeah. Chimeyev could be that guy because not only does he go in there and finish people super quick, he does talk a lot of trash. And I'm just looking at more of, of his record in various sports. I mean, it's got his amateur record breakdown. He was 3-0 and in his amateur record. Uh, amateur record. TKO win, submission win, submission win. Okay. 
And then he's got his freestyle wrestling record. The man was fucking 24-0 in freestyle wrestling. This dude has never lost at anything. He's even got, and there's a thing for freestyle wrestling, the Swedish Wrestling Federation. He's got one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, six gold medals from the Swedish Wrestling Federation. Yeah, like he, this dude has got a pedigree I've never seen before. Yeah, he is the diamond in the rough that the UFC has been salivating for for many years. Because obviously, we talk about the changing of the guard, so to speak, with Habib leaving, and then whatever is going to happen with the Diaz brothers' contracts, and Poirier is getting up in age, and Connor is Connor, but he's not the Connor of old. Chimaev is somebody that I guarantee you this: if he beats Burns on Saturday. He is facing Kamaru Usman next. Oh, yeah. He is jumping that entire division, and you can't tell me otherwise. No, and he's already building a hell of a resume for himself. I mean, he's got four performance of the night bonuses. You know, he's got the record for the fastest consecutive wins in modern UFC history. He got two wins in ten fucking days. Yeah. And then he's also got the record for the quickest three-fight win streak in modern UFC history at 66 days. What the shit? It's absolutely insane. And the fact that he's going up against the number two guy in the world. And let's face it, Gilbert Burns is no slouch. Uh Uh-uh. Brazilian jiu-jitsu master. And definitely was on that path to get a title shot until he ran into Kamaru Usman. But granted, he hit Usman with one of the hardest shots I've ever seen thrown in Uh MMA. And Usman ate it. But you got to look at also the record he's got. He beat Tyron Woodley. He beat Damian Maia. He beat Gunnar Gunnar Nelson. Like, it's a who's who. Yeah, so this is going to be an interesting fight. This would be a main event on any other card. But, Pat, who you got? Chimaev. He's a freak athlete that I don't think we've... Like, listen, Habib was a freak athlete, but he was a, he was a wrestler. This dude can knock people out, and it scares the shit out of me. The one thing that we have to remember with Chimaev that doesn't get talked a lot about, he is a very, very big 170. Like, I don't know what he cuts from. I want to say... At least 20 pounds. Because I know he's dabbled in like threatening to go up to 185. He is somebody that is going to be a very large opponent for Gilbert Burns. Now, Gilbert Burns is more so a grappler than he is a striker, in my opinion. That I think that he wants to get this to the ground. And that that becomes the really interesting test. Because Chimeyev is no slouch on the ground. And the one thing that I touched upon a little earlier, but I'm going to say is going to play a lot more factor. He's been training with Darren Till. His striking is probably a lot better than we last seen him. So that being said, I am calling Chimeyev. I'm calling him winning in the second round. And I think that he is going to finish him. And I think it's going to be due to strikes. I don't see Burns getting submitted. Now, could he? Absolutely. But I think a guy with his pedigree, I think is going to be extremely tough to do. I think it's going to be a grappling match at the start, but then I think Chimeyev is going to turn it on. Uh, according to Chael Sonnen, I did a Google search to figure out if I could find out what Chimeyev walks around at. According to Chael Sonnen via his YouTube page, uh, where he, I guess a couple weeks ago he posted a video spotlighting Chimeyev, uh, Ch- uh, Chael claimed that uh, he walks around around 181, 188. Yeah, I was going to say he's got to be the 88. He's got to be at least 20 pounds going in there. Like, it's something about him. He's just a very big 170, and that's that's going to be a problem for a lot of people in that division. And I'm guaranteeing you this. He is going to get Kamaru Usman. Oh, yeah. There's no way the UFC is not wishing this fight goes that way so that they can set up that dream pay-per-view because I guarantee you that is going to be box office. That one people will tune in to see, and that is going to be a hell of a fight, and I don't even want to fathom what's going to happen there. 
But I'm telling you this, if he winds up beating Burns in the first round or something like this, insane. Oh, it's going to be bonkers. It's going to be bonkers. Twitter, MMA Twitter is going to go lose its mind. And then uh-huh. you got to talk title shot. You do. I mean, personally, I'd love to see him fight Colby Covington. I would love to see that. Whoa. The trash talk would be insane. Don't tease me like that. Yeah. Like I said, if they're not going to do Usman for whatever reason, give him Covington and then make me really, really happy. But either way, Chimeyev all day. We're going to call it second round stoppage. Probably. Uh, and then your main event is for the UFC Featherweight Championship, and you've got Alexander Volkanovsky defending his belt against the Korean zombie Chan Sung Jung. Well, this fight is you know a little interesting for me, i got to say. Volkanovsky has definitely carved his place in the history books in the featherweight division. He is marking up quite a legacy there, and this is a fight that he more or less called out. The Korean zombie has been a legend in this division for I don't know how long. And if you've never seen him fight... He only knows one thing, and that's move forward. He has put on some of the more wild brawls you've ever seen. And I'm telling you this. If you've never seen him go at it, I don't care how bad he might be losing in a fight. It's not over until the ref stops it. Uh Like, it's just something about him. He goes in there, and he is swinging for the fences, and it's absolutely amazing to see. But this is going to be a different fight that we've seen for Volkanovski, though, i got to say. Because now he's almost, like I said, he's called his opponent. This is something that he's been waiting for. Because, like I said, most of the division, he's pretty much almost cleaned out. Uh So where do you go from here with him? Uh, So, yeah, looking at the records, Alexander Volkanovsky has 24 professional matches under his belt. He has a record of 23 wins, one loss. Uh, 11 wins are by knockout, three are by submission, nine are by uh, decision. Uh, And he's on a 20-fight win streak his, yeah his last loss was for the australian fc federation that was to a gentleman by the name of Corey nelson and that was on may 10th of 2013 since then he has not lost a fight beating the likes of brian ortega max holloway twice mm-hmm. jose aldo chad mendez just to name a few yeah i mean he's been almost a who's who of that division so this becomes an interesting scenario, but Pat, who you got? Yeah, uh, just real quick, uh, Korean Zombies record and 23 professional matches. He has a record of 17 wins, six losses. He's on a one-fight win streak. He beat uh, Dan Ie by unanimous decision. That was back in June. Uh, his last loss was the fight prior to that. Uh, that was to Brian Ortega by unanimous decision. That was in October of 2020. Uh, listen, I respect the fuck out of Korean Zombie. The man is an absolute class act. I mean, he took what, like four years off or something like that for, mm-hmm. for military service in South right. Korea, came back good as ever, you know, but listen, man, Volkanovsky's on another level that like you don't go that long, almost 10 years without losing, without having something special. And I think Volkanovsky's got it. I think this is going to be a very interesting matchup on paper because Volkanovsky is definitely going to try grappling <laughs> with him and do some wrestling. I mean, Korean zombie can definitely handle, Oh yeah. Handle a ground game, but I don't know if he's going to exactly excel at this. I mean, there's one thing that when you've seen in those brawls against Leonard Garcia, to name a few, and, and granted, he should have beat Yair Rodriguez when they fought, and except for the most freakish elbow shot to end a five-round fight I've ever seen in my life. Zombie is going to go in there and scrap, and I think I'm going to go out on a limb and say if he can scrap with him enough, he can steal this fight. He definitely <coughs> can. I think Volkanovski might have a little issue with the striking. That's Probably. the only thing, but... He's going to be smart about this and really try taking this to the ground and at least gra- make this into a grappling match. Because if he's standing with him, it's going to be a shorter night than expected because I could see 
Korean Zombie stealing some rounds. I could definitely see him doing that. He's that good. He just doesn't get a lot of publicity about it because, well, he's had a couple bad losses. Well, that happens, especially against Ortega. I mean, that fight, he didn't look right. I don't know what was going on there. He did not look like the Korean Zombie of old. And the Rodriguez fight, I mean, that is what it is, the freak shot. So that being said, I am rooting for Korean Zombie. Okay. But I think this is all Volkanovski. Yeah. I think he's gonna I think he's gonna take this to the ground. I don't want to say lay and pray, <coughs> but wouldn't surprise me. I'm not gonna be that surprised by it. Either way, we're expecting a hell of a fight. This is actually one of the better UFC fight cards in recent memory. I gotta say, for a pay-per-view. Yeah. So this is gonna be something you definitely want to check out where you watch UFC fights. I don't believe we are gonna be doing live coverage about this. Okay. Uh, there has been some talk. Rich and I have been discussing, but there's a GCW going on that night too. Ah. So, so I don't, I don't know. So I'm gonna say drop that follow for Twitch.tv slash Six or Seven Podcast. It might be a return. It might not be. But either way, we'll be definitely talking about it on next week's show. So until the meantime, ODPH Society, hit us up on the hashtag hashtag ODPHPod. What is your thoughts about UFC 273? Who you got and why? Let's talk some MMA, shall we? We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideroom Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name To the desert, the oceans, or the plains Cause I wanna go Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pat, what you got? I uh, gotta talk a little bit of local minute. Uh, looking at the games for their past week for the Binghamton Black Bears. Uh, they won their game on Friday against the Columbus River Dragons by the final score of 4-1. to one. Lost their game against Columbus on Saturday by... Ironically, the same score, four to one, uh, and then they came back Sunday and won the rubber match uh, by the final score of five to two. Looking ahead to the games they have this coming week on Friday, April eighth, uh, they are at home to, or yeah, they're at home uh, to take on the Danbury Hat Tricks. Game time seven o'clock Eastern. Saturday, they are on the road uh, taking on the Danbury Hat Tricks. Game time seven o'clock Eastern, and then Sunday, April tenth, they are uh, still on the road at Danbury taking on the Hat Tricks. Uh, but they do return home on Friday, April 15th. Uh, for more information, tickets, and all that good stuff, BinghamtonBlackBears.com. Uh, and we do have to mention, of course, we are baseball season is approaching, which means the Binghamton Rumble Ponies are getting ready to start up. Their games start this Friday. They have a three-game road trip uh, playing Hartford before they return home and play a one, two, three, four, five, six-game series against Bowie. Uh, should note, rosters got announced for the Binghamton Rumble Ponies, and I'm not going to run through the whole roster. Mm-hmm. But it is of note, uh, the number one, number two, and number three prospect in the Mets farm systems are all playing here in Binghamton. You've got Francisco Alvarez, Brett Beatty, and Ronnie uh, Mauricio all playing in Binghamton. So you got the three top prospects in the Mets farm system, which, hey, if you're a Mets fan and you're in the Binghamton area, definitely want to check those guys out because if they're ranked that high, odds are they're probably going to end up in the show someday. And if you're a baseball fan in general, should go check these guys out. You never know what they're going to do someday. Great points, Pat, because you know what? People don't realize with minor league baseball, you do see the stars of tomorrow today. Oh, absolutely. I remember very vividly going to see a game, and I forget what year it was, and playing second baseman for the then Binghamton Mets was a gentleman by the name of Daniel Murphy, who then not even a week later, I'm flipping channels, and I get past SNY, which shows the Mets games, and I, they're playing Colorado, and I hear the announcer go, oh, and Daniel Murphy rips one to left field, and I went, hold on, let's go back. Wait a minute. And I went, well, yeah, son of a bitch, he was playing here a week ago. 
Yeah, I mean, these Pete Alonso is another Pete, guy. Pete game. Alonso's played here. David Wright played here. Jose Reyes. Jose Reyes, the late Corey Lytle uh, pitched here. Uh, what is it? Um, there was another pitcher for the Mets. I'm blanking on who it was. Dark Knight. Oh, uh, Harvey. Ha- yeah, Harvey pitched Harvey pitched here. Like, There's been a lot of guys that come through here. You never know. Well, that's the one cool thing, like I say, about baseball. Because you, you you get to see so many people. Like, I mean, I remember down, down the road in Scranton, a lot of people saw uh, Mr. Aaron Judge. Oh, yeah. Oh, so. Yeah. Saw, you know, saw Gary Sanchez for the time he was with the Yankees come through here. Yeah, so it's always one of those cool situations about that that yeah. you know you never know who you're going to see, and that's why you go support minor league baseball is because, like I say, it's always a fun time to go see that sport. Yeah, uh, and also got to mention, uh, Major League Baseball starts back up this week on Thursday, I believe. Yes, it does. Uh, you got some of the games you got this coming Thursday. Boston's playing the New York Yankees at 105. Boy, that'll be something awesome to see. Does Judge get signed by then? Uh, rumor has it he has. Uh, I but I I know Carlos Beltran on the Yes broadcast kind of alluded he has, but then was like, well, no, maybe he hasn't. Yet. I think they'll they're flying back to New York because they did post to social media a photo of their plane. They said next stop the BX, the Bronx. Mm-hmm. I think at some point before the game on Thursday they will announce he's signed. They have to. Because you don't do it in Tampa, you do it in New York. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Some of the other games you got uh, going on that Thursday, Milwaukee Brewers are taking on the Chicago Cubs. The New York Mets are taking on the Washington Nationals. Seattle Mariners taking on the Minnesota Twins. The Cleveland Guardians, uh, formerly known as the Cleveland Indians, are taking on the Kansas City Royals. The Pittsburgh Pirates are taking on the St. Louis Cardinals. Cincinnati Reds are taking on the World Series champion Atlanta Braves. Uh, the Houston Asterisks are taking on the Los Angeles Angels, and the San Diego Padres are taking on the Arizona Diamondbacks. The, the Yankees, I don't care, man. This is true. Garrett Cole starting game one against Nathan Evaldi. Let's go, Yankees. Hell yeah, it'll be a fun time. Baseball's back, so you know what? Uh, as long as we ain't talking money, let's talk some sports, man. Uh, and also we have to mention a little bit of golf because, hey, we are not the biggest golf fans, but this one definitely caught our eyes. Uh, it was reported a couple days ago that Tiger was a game-time decision for the Masters, but Tiger Woods is saying, quote, as of right now, he plans to play in the Masters, which, if he does, fucking incredible. Because, yeah, it's huge. Because as we all remember, 14 months ago, he nearly lost his right leg in a serious car accident. Didn't know if he was going to make it, but he did say on ESPN uh, that he does right now plan to play in this week's Masters, of course, taking place at the Augusta National Golf Club, which, hey, if he does, applause to you, sir. Absolutely. That's a huge move. I mean, t- Tiger coming back from all this stuff he's been doing to yeah. you know, get one last run. If this is the last run, I mean, we never know. You him. never know. But still, you got to take advantage of while it's there. Yeah, he did say, uh, quote, as of, as of right now, I feel like I'm going to play as of right now. I'm going to play nine more holes Wednesday. Uh, my cover, my recovery has been good. I have been very excited about how I've recovered each and every day, and that's been the challenge, close quote. Yeah, so it'll be exciting to see him come back, and you know, hopefully you can make a good run for it. Yeah. So that being said, my base, uh, it's it pains me to talk about it, but the Final Four tournament has ended, Yeah. and the Duke Blue Devils did not raise the chip. I mean, can we just talk about one thing real quick? Absolutely. How goddamn close I did in my bracket. Yeah, you were almost on point, man. I so we were in a group with the thirty and nerdy crew. Uh, it was you, East Coast, East, uh, East Coast, you, me, dog, uh, Dre, Driven was in there. I ended up winning the group uh, with a hundred and thirty points, but I just got to I got to give myself credit for as bad as my fucking bracket did. I had Kansas winning the whole thing. Kudos to me. I had the team wrong. I had Kentucky and ended up being North Carolina. Final score ended up being seventy two to sixty nine. I predicted for the tiebreaker they do, 74-68. Yeah, you were like... Holy shit, I almost called the whole damn thing. That would have been wild because, like, let's face it, when we got to the Final Four games, 
they lived up to the hype that we saw to to degree. I mean, everybody knows Kansas City de- or Kansas defeated Villanova. Yep. yep. So not too much to go there because Villanova blew, blew them out of the goddamn gym. Yeah, but Villanova was banged up. I mean, losing their one player there yeah. to a torn ACL. Yeah. And the one Kansas player was on fire. Holy shit! He was like he was like six of seven from the field, and those six points were all threes. Yeah. Those six field goals were all threes. Right. But the big fight that everybody was waiting to see was Duke and Carolina. And obviously, Coach K taking on his, his nemesis. Did and, massive ratings numbers, from what I understand. Oh, absolutely! Because, like, let's face it: even if you're a casual fan, you know the the historic rivalry between Duke and North Carolina. It's arguably one of college basketball's best rivalries. Oh yeah, college sports in general too. It's it's up there in discussion, but nevertheless. And definitely lived up to the hype of the battle. Albeit, though, when North Carolina went on a 13-0 run to kind of seal yeah, the deal. Yeah. And the free throws were atrocious during that game, too. This is where the storyline became for Duke, and they just came up short. So Coach K getting that final run to the four, though, that's a win in itself. And you know what? It's not like he's never won a tournament before in his life. And the fact that he got there, it was the box office. Not the ending we wanted, but it was what it was. But then coming into Monday night, Kansas and what they did Ooh. in that second half. That, that comeback was something the likes I haven't seen since uh, my Patriots to, to the Falcons. Yeah, I mean, break that down, Pat. Yeah, so uh, Kansas ended up winning the game by the final score of 72-69. to 69, But at halftime, UNC was up 40-25. to 25. Yes. Just want to point that out. UNC was winning handedly. That, like, I think even, you know, the old chisel might have started getting out on the old uh, plaque to get it ready to pen, put it on that damn thing. But then, no, Kansas went on a run and made a comeback of the ages. I, I think it's the largest comeback in, in men's college basketball history. Something It's something wild like that. But they ended up coming back and winning the whole damn thing. Holy shit. But to, to come back from 16 points down in the championship game, uh huh. like, how freaking insane is that? And it, it's absolutely trying to figure this out. Like, it's mind-boggling because this just doesn't happen. But, I mean, to see Kansas come out of nowhere and really do it, and that's the one thing that, that people don't realize, too. It's like Kansas really did fly under the radar for the most part. I mean, we don't see them a lot in the East Coast. So sure. the fact they got in there and, you know, you could say, well, they were seed, you know, whatever the case is. They came in there. They really came in. I, I felt like with a little chip on their shoulder. Like I know they started off, you know, slow, and Carolina got out to the big win. But you have to remember, Carolina came off an emotional win. Uh huh. And how much gas was in the tank on Monday night? Uh-huh. Like that's the that's the key thing I was telling people before the game. I said, Kansas, I expect to win big, but Carolina is going to just run out of gas because there's something about when you face your rival. It's an emotional game. Obviously, beating Coach K is huge. Coming down the stretch on that 13-0 run. Oh, yeah. That takes a lot out of you mentally. Oh, absolutely. And physically, too. But still, it's something that for those players, it really pushed their limits. And I think Kansas was kind of sitting there playing with house money. Like, we're going to take your shot, but we know you're out of gas. Oh, yeah. And then coming back in that second half, oh, insane. You got you to keep that old foot down on the on the uh, gas pedal. Yeah, and I, I understand like Carolina was having some issues too, like a couple sure, of injuries here and there. Sure, so sure. I, I get that, and it happens. But that's, you got to have that next man up mentality. Somebody's got to step up. Yeah, I mean, that's the one problem because when they started getting hit by that bug, it came at the worst time, and you know... And you hate to see it. You hate to... Like I say, even as me, and I'm not a Carolina fan by any stretch of the imagination, 
it's a situation that in that, that game where it's just the college kids playing. Right. You know, to have a game end like that, it's tough and it's heartbreaking. Oh, yeah. But it's what it's what makes the Final Four so interesting because you see a team like St. Peter's come out of nowhere. Oh, yeah. And even though I heard three of them transferred today too, by the way. Yeah, something like that. It's like something insane. But they have that Cinderella story. Like you go in there and you play for the love of the sport. It's the, st- it's the stuff movies are made of that like you only expect a story like St. Peter's to happen in the movies. But then you watch it play out in real life in front of your own eyes. Yeah, it's an absolutely wild scenario to see. But this is why everybody tunes in. Everybody does a bracket. Everybody is watching because you never know who's going to come away with the chip about this. But, hey, kudos to Kansas. You defeated Carolina. You avenged Coach K. I say thank you. And then we'll have to see what happens next season, man. Crazy that basketball is over for college. Yeah. Crazy. It just seems like it flew by. But it's the fun of March Madness. But now we got to look forward to a lot of stuff in April. So that all being said, the music you heard at the beginning of the show is that of Brian Wolf. But at the end of the show, we got some brand new Tom Jolu. Pat, if I want to find out about those guys, where do I go? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You swing on over to the music section. You check out everything going on with Shout at the Robots, Second Suitor, Yard Party, who will be eventually on the ODPH at some point this year. We need to reschedule. Like That is the one. It's, it's like the movie uh, Don Quixote. Every time we have it lined up, like we're going to yeah. do something, and this is, and I will admit, this is something on our end, not really so much on their end, because every time we've tried planning something out, something has to get changed. It's like it's like the uh, Tony Ferguson uh, Habib fight. Yes, but this is more so like we are the ones getting injured all the time. Yeah. It's not on them. I'm guaranteeing you this. And if you haven't heard In Search of an Exit, go check out Yard Party. I will give them a plug. I know they listen to this show, and that interview will be happening at some point. We just need to figure this out. But for all those great musicians you hear on the show, go support the hell out of them because they're all fantastic. But while you're at the website, go check out the Classifieds, which has friends of the show, such as Super B, who is on 607TWS. He might be coming through to the ODPH. He's, we're talking about it like it's going to be happening, but he's a super good dude. We, we're very grateful to have him on the show. He's got a lot to talk about. Go follow him on Twitter. We'll have his links in there at the end of the show, too, so you definitely want to go support him. And, of course, our friends over at 8122 Productions Pad because do you know – what happened four years ago today? They started their show. Exactly. So congratulations to Rich, Ron, and Diesel bringing that certain je ne sais quoi that only they can, often imitated, never duplicated. Put it this way. Diesel's been on the internet for on the podcast for four years, and, they ha- and he hasn't gotten them taken down yet. Yet is the key word. Uh-huh. Because he will not get canceled. That's why I say yet. Yes, but you can't stop those guys. But listen, from all of us here at the ODPH to, to the whole squad over at 3FN, congratulations on four years, man. You guys keep kicking the ass and keep doing the damn thing. We were proud to be the pod brothers in arms with you and you know, in the whole fraternity of hashtag 607 podcast. But go find out. Go support them. Go check out their Patreon. Go check out everything with them. They do fantastic stuff. So shout out to everybody there at the squad. And while you're there, also check out Organizational Link Support and Black Lives Matter and all the amazing other pod groups we're in, too. So shout out to the Inner Circle and, of course, shout out to the Apocalypse where you see in the liner notes every episode, it's pod raid season and a lot of pods we're giving some exposure to. So go check them out and go support them. Parlay points, block section blowing up, T Public Store, you know you want to get some swag. It's going to be sales season pretty soon, Pat. I think, I think some people need to go get some swag. I Absolutely. know. I, I got to get some stuff for the summertime. Got to look very, very good. You know, rocking some Parlay Club shirts. Maybe the pads dealing hats. I don't know if we if we do hats. We'll find out. But we're going to make it happen with T Public. Either way, if it is ODPH, you go to ODPHpodcast.com. That's all I got for this week. So for the one and only Pat Awanje. Let's go Yankees and fuck the Astros.
I'm your host, Kenham. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time. Would you like slice? The slice of pizza by now. Would you like slice? The slice of pizza by now. Would you like slice? A slice of pizza pie tonight. They said, don't come back here no more. If you try to come and get your things, we'll kick you out the door. So I went to gray up some food and knew the friendly cashews. Would you like a slice? A slice of pizza pie now. Would you like a slice? A slice of pizza pie now. Would you like a slice? A slice of pizza pie tonight. Their customers complaining after minutes of a tirade. The FD, he just wanted.